our house and especially our car will feel positively silent without all those songs being sung and sung again and sung again. We went up for the weekend to York, that weekend where it flooded and all the roads closed and everyone was stuck on the motorways. And we were stuck on our way up to York in our car with that CD (laughs) for several hours. So yeah, some of us do know it off by heart. I must say at this time of year, I, uh, I do love... I love this time of year anyway, but I've really loved like almost rediscovering it through the eyes of my own children now. It's brought it to life in a new way somehow. But sadly, this time of year now, it, since last year, is forever going to remind me of one of my biggest ever parenting fails. Shropshire was cold and icy one morning as I took my kids to school. There was a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth in the household as I made them put their gloves on. That battle was won after I managed to negotiate with them that they needed to wear a hat. That difficult conversation came on the back of the drama of demanding that they both wore coats. That discussion only really got going after I'd forcibly made them put on their jumpers. It's sub-zero outside. I think wearing clothes is a good idea, and yet I'm already the bad guy. It's icy outside, and as we go outside, I say to the kids, come on, take a hand each, I've got you. And we walk up the road, a little child in each hand, walking up the pavement towards school. I don't really remember what happened next, but a little bit of detective work showed me that it was me who'd found the black ice and in falling over I'd wiped out both my children. (laughs) What's amusing about that story is that without being reminded they would regularly forget to brush their teeth. They would forget to put their shoes away. They'd forget to wash. But somehow By a miracle of human nature, they've never forgotten about the time that Daddy fell over on the ice and wiped them both out. Last week, one morning, or the week before last, one morning, it was really icy. We were all scraping our cars. My little girl, Joy, stood at the end of our path. And as I left the house, she looked at me with a big smile on her face and she held out her hand. She said, hey, Dad, it's a bit icy. Would you like to take my hand in case you fall over? (laughs) Which I thought was a very kind offer. She's obviously learned the lessons of this time of year. Enough of such matters, though. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to have a look at the account in the Bible of the birth of Jesus that we've just seen acted out so wonderfully. We're going to look at it. And, uh, and draw out a few points that I think will encourage us this morning. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 2, the birth of Jesus. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. 
And everyone went to their own house to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. These are familiar verses for many of us, often read at carol services, but I just want to drill in and make a few points to apply it. The first thing I want to say is that this is about history. We start with the census and the detail of the Roman rulers at the time so that the future readers could actually date these events. People reading this account later in time could go back to the place, the town, the house, the family home. And even in future generations, they could still ask the stories of the people there if they knew of such events. We've got the names of the people, the names of the towns, the year that it happened. You could still go and speak to people who would have heard the stories of what had happened. So it's about history, but it's also about a family And these events of the first Christmas take place around a family. You see the kids up here this morning, they've done so great. But seeing the really little ones who've done so well, but it reminds you just how small they are. Some of them looking sort of wide-eyed and and, and, and nervous of what's happening. The sort of the vulnerability, the care that smaller children need let alone a newborn baby. This wasn't exactly the illustrious start for the supposed saviour king. In fact, in some ways, I can't think of a more vulnerable start, really, away from home, not even in a proper bed. It's about as far away from glory as you could possibly imagine. If the saviour king was to be born... You wouldn't expect to find him in a, in a distant town, in a distant outpost of the known world, in a, in a really confused family situation, in an unconventional living arrangement, in an animal feeding tray. There must be some mistake. So, someone must have got this wrong. That's not how you welcome a king. And yet it's true. It's wonderful truth. It's about history and it's about a family. It's also about a child. God was literally taking onto himself the vulnerability of humanity. He was allowing himself to feel cold. He was allowing himself to feel physically hungry. He was allowing himself to rely on someone else. For food. What an astonishing moment in history. God, with all of his power, with all of his glory, with all of his eternal security and completeness, allowing himself to be totally and utterly vulnerable, to be completely us. So it's about a child and it's about good news. 
the news starts to spread. The message immediately, bang, it starts to spread like wildfire. Now, last year, I had the privilege of introducing my own children to the greatest Christmas film of all time, Home Alone. (laughs) Some would argue the greatest film of all time, full stop. But for the purposes of argument this morning, I'm going to stick to just Christmas. It's a wonderful film, but to be honest, I'd forgotten what it was like in a few places. Anyway, fast forward a few days and we're hosting a Christmas party at our house. And we prepare the children, you know, when everybody arrives, you need to welcome them. You need to uh, uh, wish them well at our Christmas party. So they take this all on board. Especially Zach, aged five at the time. So people start to arrive and, uh, and he comes downstairs And he walks into the room confidently. And he walks straight up to the most elderly relative who's been invited. And having just watched Home Alone in his best American East Coast accent, he goes, Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. Literally the funniest Christmas greeting I have ever heard in my life. And definitely a moment where I'm grateful that elderly relatives don't always hear everything <laughs> that's, um, that's being said. You will be pleased to know that the angel of the Lord has a little bit more decorum as he announces the good news of Christmas. As this good news spread. Who does it go to? Who gets to know about this coming king? Is it the royal family? Surely they're the ones with the political power. Is it the occupying military power? Surely they're the ones you should tell. They're the ones really in control. Is it the priests? Is it the religious classes? Surely they're the ones who should find out first. No. As we've seen so ably acted out this morning, it goes to a bunch of shepherds in Luke 2 from verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The shepherds are totally blown away by this news, but they're also scared. They're just normal working people. They're at work and bang, God breaks in suddenly. The sky full of angels singing and and it's like their world is just turned upside down and they have to go and find out more. They're just amazed by what's happening. So they go and visit him immediately and when they see him, they worship him. The first people to find him 
the first people to be told, normal working people going about their daily jobs, working lads in the fields, but much further away and over a much longer period of time and over a much greater distance. There are some wise men with an interest in the stars and they'd noticed something completely different in the sky, a strange supernatural light like a star appearing in the distance, a glimpse of something. Does that thing in the sky, what is that? Does that have meaning? A glimpse of something that they don't fully understand so they go on a journey of discovery to find out more. And that's where we pick this up in the book of Matthew in chapter 2 and from verse 9. They went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. At the end of a much longer journey was the same discovery, the same child with his mother, and they too respond in worship. The end of a much longer journey, being drawn closer bit by bit, not fully knowing where it was going to end until they actually encountered him, but their response is the same. Shepherds and wise men, totally different people, from different backgrounds, from different cultures, from different countries, on totally different journeys. For one, bang, God breaks into their everyday life. For the others, hold on, I can see there's something special. I don't fully understand it. We have to go and find out more. But both of them, on encountering the child, respond in exactly the same way. The encounter with Jesus leads them to worship and to reverence. So I want to finish with a reflection on those two types of people that the good news broke in and reached at that first Christmas. Maybe uh, those of us here who already have an active faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you to think back to the moment that you first discovered Jesus for yourself that moment of first encounter. Different ones of us will have different ways that that might have happened. For some of us, it might be like he just burst into our life. Or for some of us, it might be that we had to go on a journey of discovery to find him. But equally, what was our response then? Never lose the wonder of the moment of what it felt like the hour we first believed, the moment we first encountered Jesus. And even as we think back to the journey that we went on, that leads us to worship as well because we can see how God has spoken to us and drawn us to him, how God in his mercy has come to reach us. Different people at different times, over from different backgrounds, from different nations, in different ways, all encountering Jesus and being drawn together in worshipping him. So let's not let such an important season pass without time for really reflecting on that and worshipping the Lord Jesus.
And for those of us here who maybe you're not sure of your faith this morning or, or maybe you don't really agree with it at all, can I encourage you that there is so much more that we would love an opportunity to talk about when it comes to Jesus. There's so much more than we can fit in a nativity play. Who he was, how he lived, why he came, why he died, that he rose again, that he offers not just a a nice picture on a Christmas card, not just a sentimental memory, but the hope of forgiveness, the hope of eternity. And the greatest thing that we can do is turn our lives around and follow him. There's just so much more to say that I'm not going to fit in this morning. But that's why we want to invite you on our Alpha course early next year to come and to find out and give us opportunity to express to you why this child has shaped humanity ever since. Opportunities for you to ask your questions, opportunities to talk things through as you go on a journey It might feel like your life's been going in one direction up to this point and uh, and it feels like it requires like a sudden change of direction like with the shepherds. There'd be something sudden happening or it might be that you've seen this distant thing, you've you've known there's something about it, you've seen something either in the circumstances or in the people from a distance but you've never quite made the step of walking towards it and going on that journey yourself but you know that it wasn't there before and now it's there and you want to go and find out more. Either way, I really want to encourage you to come and find out who this child really is. Christmas is about history, it's about a family, it's about a child, and it's about wonderful good news. It's about the birth of hope. As Emily said as we prayed, we live in a country that needs hope. The different political parties, different ways of expressing that, they're wanting to offer people hope and whatever we did on Thursday the one thing that we agree on is that we want hope for the future we believe that the greatest hope for the future is not found in our personal circumstances it's not found in the relationships around us it's not found in our political system although all of those things can be wonderful blessings but the greatest hope for our future is found in the Lord Jesus, God coming in love for us. So hopefully we will see you at the carol service next week. But for now, I want to wish you a very happy Christmas and a wonderful new year. Thank you.